to another episode of Get in the Cashflow Game with K&K. And uh, we had one of Kenny's fellow Avengers on the show. Another one. Another one. His name's Steven Petaskey. He is the owner and founder of the Luxus Group. Um, honestly, I, I, I really had no idea what this guy did. I did not understand it. Uh, however, we got the pleasure of staying in one of their homes. And I did, together. but she didn't. I said, I understood what he did, but you really were kind of like, what? Okay, so now. I mean, yeah. I mean, even still, like, I think the way that he started his company is so cool. And um, it's it kind of shows how entrepreneurial he really is. I mean, basically, they wanted to create the type of vacation experience that they weren't finding themselves, like, as a family. Um, you know, certain houses that they're stocked, that they're family friendly. And I have to admit, so basically the Luxus Group has all these homes and these like really amazing places, like places like, um, maybe I think Park City, but they have like Palm Desert, they have, but then they have like exotic places like Tuscany and, um, like a bunch Hawaii, of I think. Costa Rica yeah. and Hawaii and you know, all these different places. So anyways, essentially what it is, is like, uh, they pulled together investors, which were initially like primarily family and friends and they bought these homes and now they rent them out. There's a lot of Canadians that really use these homes now. Obviously that's not happening as much with uh, them being currently in lockdown. But, um, I have to say too, like we use Airbnb and VRBO for our vacations, but this house was like fully stocked. Like if you're a family with kids, I mean, they have like four pack and plays, uh, two high chairs, like all the pool toys, all the stuff. Like it was just very cool to see his perspective and how he runs things and how they view things and the way that they, uh, their customer service was amazing. And he's built a really cool company. Yeah, they have uh, currently, if this is correct, but uh, 34 properties in six different countries, $150 million of real estate. He also has dabbled into the development, so you really should listen to that. So if you are a real estate investor or a developer and you've had some unfortunate luck, uh, Steve definitely, um, boy, he had a couple, I think it was a, let's see, a natural disaster and COVID and then lost funding on a $50 million deal. So I'm sitting here going, some of you are like stressed about a million dollar deal, like, man, it's not going right, imagine 50 million. So he's definitely the type of person that jumps right into things, wants to push himself, go to the next level. Um, really amazing, nice guy, honestly. Um, met him like right off the bat when I got into Avengers, set at the table, but really nice guy, super good family guy. You know, the way he looks at it is like, he was saying, it's not all of us have, you know, gazillion dollars to go buy four or five vacation homes around the world, which obviously everybody would love to do if you had it. Um, so why not go and partner with a bunch of family, friends, and people yeah. and build a business around it and be like, cool, now we can go stay at all these places. I think he's staying in Idaho in one of them. They can go to Palm Springs. They've got, I mean, we were in Palm Desert. Like Crystal said, the house is really nice, super amazing. Um, but anyways, I think with uh, this interview, it just reminds us that um, just like Crystal said, like how entrepreneurial some people are, how they just think outside the box, how they just throw themselves, like go from like, hey, I'm gonna buy a, some homes and do this, so, so let's go do a $50 million uh, project, mm -hmm. which is crazy because we're looking at each other going, yeah, we probably wouldn't do a $50 million project, we'd probably start with a smaller one. 
But um, he actually got through it. He muscled away through it and came out in the end. And um, I think he's learned a lot from it. So, you know, let's jump in with Steve and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Okay, Stephen. Well, thanks for coming on today. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that we got to actually stay in one of your vacation rentals recently. So yeah. honestly, it was amazing and nice long weekend in Palm Springs and the house was great. It was well stocked and all the kids stuff for us, which was super helpful. So um, <laughs> thanks for coming on. We're kind of excited to learn about your business and what you've done and uh, some tips and tricks on how to be successful. Thank you very much for having me. You guys are great. And uh, can't wait to, uh, to share a bit more of what we're up to and, and tell you more about traveling vacation style. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Can you kind of just take us back? Because we always are interested. I mean, like we were talking before, this is an interesting space. Most people in real estate go for the traditional multifamily or single family or industrial, but you definitely chose a different path. So can you kind of just go back like when you started and how you ended up in this asset class? Yeah, for sure. If I uh, So I started the company 14 years ago, 2007. And before that, I was actually in the grocery business with a family business for um, well, just under a decade. And so always been entrepreneurial and um, first kind of business as a, as a teenager. So I've always just kind of felt like an entrepreneurial gene. And I wouldn't necessarily follow though where the money was, more where kind of my passions lied. And I, was, I just find that when you're doing something you love, there's time is essentially infinite and you can, you know, you know, kind of do, you can do anything really. So come 2007, we just saw this opportunity in the market where and it came from my, my wife and I. So we were recently married in 2005. We had our first child February 2014, uh, probably 2007, um, which uh, we just turned 14. And uh, hotel, like we love traveling. But hotels just didn't fit our world anymore. Having a baby in a hotel was hard. You had like a glass of wine in the bathroom and trying to be romantic. It's totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, this sucks. And there's got to be a better way. And uh, we thought, wouldn't it be amazing? And we were too like nomad. We, we didn't like have a spot we loved. We love spots. We like the desert. We like Hawaii and ski properties. And, and so that variety was an issue for us. And we just kind of fantasized about the idea. Like, imagine if we had millions of dollars and we could just buy multiple vacation properties and then we could set them up the way we need, you know, play pens and stuff for the kids and stuff for the adults. And, and uh, you know, of course, rental properties existed, but there was such an inconsistency with rental properties in terms of the in-residence experience. And back then, Airbnb wasn't really a thing. It was all VRBO and it was like very inconsistent, like next level in terms of what you see in photos and what you receive. So that's how it evolved. So what we did is we said, you know what? Well, we can't afford to buy three vacation homes. What if we just went to friends and family and, and thought if they would all contribute proportionally and we'll all put in a chunk of money and we'll go buy three vacation homes and we'll manage those homes on behalf of that shared ownership group. We call them co-owners. It was via partnership structure. So there wasn't a timeshare. They owned equity in the assets. It'd be like the three of us going to buy a home together and just multiply it on some scale. And uh, through that early part of 2007, big borrow and stole $3.6 million. And we bought a place, a ski property in British Columbia, a beach property in Maui and a home in Scottsdale. And that was the, the kickoff to Lexus, the Lexus group. And uh, we scaled it up from 18 people and three properties to peak it over uh, about $100 million and 50 properties over the next 10 years. And um, we've since done roughly about 30 or 40,000 vacations for our clients. So now 
it's definitely changed and evolved from just managing a few homes to managing a portfolio and experiences and concierge and the, the whole vertical um, of the vacation experience from kind of start to booking your flights all the way through to the, the post experience. And, and then we've shifted gears into development. I'll come back to that later, but that's where we got started 14 years ago and it's been a wonderful journey, been challenging and exciting at the same time. Is it really, um, for your investors, is it still really friends and family based as far as who's buying the homes? Yes. So we've, we've always kept it on a referral basis only. We've never advertised. And uh, the early part of the years were easy is not the right word, but it, it was a little more fluid. We had a relatively strong Canadian economy, and that was during the subprime crisis in the U.S. So buying was great. So we had two good storylines, kind of a really good access to capital with lots of partners coming into wealth and wanting to do this type of experience and then the cheap homes. So that's why we really accelerated and grew quickly for that kind of 2008 to 2013 timelines. And we never advertised. It was just, hey, my friend came on a trip with me. Now they want to buy in. And then that just snowballed. So our investor base is very concentrated in Western Canada as a result. And um, that served us well over the years. But now we're expanding our investor base to kind of different markets as we've uh, you know, sought some other opportunities within this, this segment of real estate. Cool. I was going to ask you too, one of the, you know, I mean, it's one thing to buy like places in the U S cause we know the U S but you also have places like outside the U S not just <laughs> Canada. So I want to ask you like, how do you um, enter? I mean, just entering a, just another state for us here. We're like, how do we enter another state? You're literally going to like another country. So how do you like even get your head wrapped around entering another country, which is crazy to me. Um, just blissfully unaware of the challenges that come. Just, you know, you just kind of go, <laughs> you dive in and then there's the brick wall and you just smash it. And then once you do that, you've now learned essentially that that is very hard and difficult. We now have to figure it out. So like Costa Rica or Caribbean or Europe, they all have their own very specific tax rules, very specific real estate ownership rules, very specific structures. And honestly, just, I don't say trial and error, just trial. Like, you know, and sometimes we figured it out quickly. And sometimes, in some cases, we're still figuring it out as we're selling assets in these destinations. Um, so we got good at high barrier entry markets where people would generally be afraid to go. But once you start to understand how it works, it takes a fear away and you realize, oh, this actually is a really good real estate market. You just have to know how to acquire, own, and sell properties without getting caught up with foreign ownership issues or foreign tax issues that could ultimately like, you know, ruin a project financially. There's also like different types of financing and the way they work. I remember we uh, looked at helping a client buy a place for his daughter who was going to school. I forget some, somewhere in the UK. Scottsdale. No, it's going to be Scotland. Scott, Scotland. In Scotland. Sorry, yeah. Scotland. She went to college there. And um, I remember trying to call, he's like, Crystal, Kenny, help, help us get this loan. And we call him in the UK. They're like, no, you have to, the owner has to be on the phone. And we do like a two hour presentation to make sure he understands what he's getting. And we can't talk about anything with you until you do this. And he was like, I'm not doing that. You figure it out. And we just ended up not doing it because he wouldn't sit on the phone for two hours. He's Canadian too. Um, so just little things like that, figuring out how much do I have to put down? What's my interest rate? How does that all work? That's, uh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's when it comes to development projects, which we'll talk maybe about a, a bit later. Like our main investment was always just buying with cash, so we never had to worry about the financing aspect. Yeah, yeah. But in the development side, we did, and that's where we really found some pain along the way, realizing the challenges of our credit history in Canada, as good as it was, meant nothing, and um, starting from scratch. So 
separate conversation, but completely understand where you're coming from. Very difficult, very hard. And um, we've now figured it out, but it's taken us a decade. <laughs> wow. So let's kind of jump into, so obviously um, just kind of like the business model and getting your, like, what are some of the things that, hey, look, if somebody's like watching this and they're, I want to, you know, a lot of the things we're dealing with here is we've got regulations we're dealing with, right? So VRBOs, yes. you know, vacation rentals popped up everywhere. Kind of some people were not managing them like you would. It was like, you know, the wild, wild west. Yeah. And now obviously <laughs> a lot of these little state cities, towns said, okay, we need to have some rules, regulations. Number one, are you looking at that for your inner market? And has that affected some of your current um, assets now? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And maybe I'll just kind of bucket it like in three buckets with our business. And one is the shared ownership vehicle, which I'll talk, that's kind of what we talk about now and, and how it's affected us and how it hasn't. Then we have like our long-term revenue business, which is vacation properties, but for renting um, specifically. And then the third bucket's like building for like profit to develop be more financially focused. But in all cases, we've really worked hard to become experts in understanding the regulations. And we call them the Airbnb laws for for lack of a better word, but it has deeply affected our business model early on from 2012 to 16 is when it really got some scale. And then you've seen, we've, we've the writing's been on the wall for any markets that had not changed since then. Now we're starting to see them coming to line. So for example, you saw multiple places in New York and New York was like the Airbnb haven. And it was really like, was the epicenter of like the hotel lobby where investors were buying dozens and dozens of units, listing them on Airbnb or VRBO. And then, and they were losing hotel revenue as a result. And so the hotel lobby, um, you know, under the guise, but out of fairness to protect their revenue, but hotel hotels had a very specific like fire codes on managing a transient building, but these residential buildings were built for that, like multiple stairwells for, for fire exits and other things. So with the different codes, they ultimately got it shut down. And New York was essentially the first major city to say Airbnb regulation. And what happened is every, all class A buildings, which essentially is every residential building in New York, had to eliminate um, Airbnb rentals. Wow. And the interesting, it was like monumental at the time. These are, there's tens of thousands, like it was to, to zero overnight. The issue was where New York figured it out and other cities have not, is they were first targeting the person. So let's say Joe is renting his place in Airbnb. They'd send him a ticket for $1,000. Well, he's charging $1,000 a night. So he just would just, you just pay his tickets and keep making money. And so it wasn't very effective from an enforcement perspective. And the world was watching how they were going to handle it. And ultimately then what they chose, they attacked the actual building HOAs themselves to do the governance. So the HOA governs the 250 units in the tower, for example. We're going to penalize you if you don't get your house in order. And so that's when it actually affected us because we weren't accepting remuneration, right? It's a shared ownership vehicle, but we do have hundred partners in the, in the group. It's a very large group. So the spirit of it was transient, but we weren't like renting it over your BO. So we were like a innocent bystander, you know, that we would get a call and be like, we know what you're doing. We don't think it's actually wrong for the laws, but we think it's a little bit offside. You know, would you guys, you know, sell your property? And we felt we had a good legal case to argue the shared ownership side, but we just didn't want to be in a, in a fight. So we just sold uh, all of our assets and we've just been leasing as of late in buildings that do allow a form of like corporate ownership that we do. But from a rental perspective, you're very limited in New York where you can rent now. It's either illegal that you're renting, it's a hotel, or it's one of the very few transient buildings that have uh, like condo hotels or zone for transient use. So that was like the start. And that's just 
extrapolated to every major market in the world now. And I could talk for hours about it because we've been affected in so many different ways. Um, but it's, uh, it's really interesting. And maybe if I just shift to the good part about it, it's made it very specific on where you can actually buy rental properties legally and operate them as a revenue generator, which makes it actually easier in a lot of cases to select. Um, and it's, it's stripped a lot of inventory out of the market. So it's made the competition less uh, and uh, um, the supply less as well. So you just have, but the demand is there, especially due to COVID. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, because San Diego is going through some, it's not done, but you've heard it's going through some changes. Yep. So they don't yep. know the whole thing, but we're, I mean, we're finally getting something, but it's not in concrete, but yeah, it's, it's been coming for a while. Like, but you know, where you're on Palm Springs, Palm Desert, they just figured it out and said, this is what it is, you know? And it's like, it's done, you know, which is kind of nice. Yeah, like for you, that's a good, like we had a lot of places in the Coachella Valley and it was uh, like Palm Springs has a different set of laws than Cathedral City and Rancho Mirage. There's a moratorium in Indian Wells and Palm Desert. So it's very interesting, even on a city by city basis and the very like intricacies of the laws, like in Rancho Mirage, they're only allowed 10% of a certain community to be registered with a short-term rental permit. And in Palm Springs, it's a, a maximum 30 states per year at seven nights a year or something. So they all have their weird little laws. But at least when the laws are set by the government, you know what you're getting yourself into. The trouble is making an investment when a city hasn't decided what they're doing. And then you could completely lose your rights or you could be on the good side. It's a bit more of a gamble when you're doing it like in advance of a, a contentious, which they generally all have been city council decisions about how to govern it in every single market. You've got people that are for and against it, obviously. So are you targeting areas that already have the vacation rental laws specified? So there's no laws, for example, like San Diego kind of right now, then you're like, we're going to stay away from that area until they decide what the rules are. Yeah. If it's our shared ownership division, we're a little more comfortable because we know that we don't, almost all laws generally have like a remuneration clause, like you're actually out advertising. Um, so we're generally feel safe, but we do like the clarity that comes along with, you know, here's the rules. We fit in those rules nicely. We're going to be just fine. Um, and you know, and then we can actually operate without having to sell assets, you know, pre-cycle. Like usually we do like 10-year cycles and we don't like having to sell something mid-cycle. It's not part of our plan because of uh, a law change. So it's very interesting. There's a lot of opportunity though as a result of it as well, just because of the um, two, two things. Like you've got the supply coming down because the governance coming from, but then you have the demand going up because of COVID. This triggered this trend where people... Yeah want to stay in a beautiful home versus a uh, two adjoining hotel rooms with their kids. So this, this is happening right now. And it's actually creating where we're, we're like, this is where we're going to be diving into heavy the next kind of five to five years is how to ride that trend of this high desire for like a hotel quality product, but in a hundred percent governed, safe, transient occupancy, occupancy allowed destination. So that's a big thing what we're working on now. And I think there's going to be a great, a great opportunity there financially. Yeah, I definitely think anybody who loved to stay in hotels, a lot of them are now doing, you know, Airbnb or these like vacation rental type situations. Um, and mm -hmm. then like you mentioned, especially families, like I would never stay in a hotel with my two kids anymore. It just doesn't make any <laughs> yeah. sense. True. And it's totally true. It's so hard. It's miserable. You're like, this isn't a vacation. At least at home, I get my own room. Exactly. And I think with somebody too, they go to a hotel and let's say they get a couple rooms, they go to the family, but then they're now they're forced to go to the house. 
I mean, there is always something you said. I said, look, you know, the house is you can walk right. Like we're at the house, you know, your house, you're out there. Yeah. You walk right in the backyard, you're right in the pool. You can go barbecue, you can walk right back in. You can put them down for a nap. You don't have to go downstairs, go to the pool. And, you know, and pay, put, pay, pay, pay for an overpriced meal every single time you're hungry. You pay for two rooms a day. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it honestly, financially, it's not making any sense. And then also with the social distancing, I'm sure with the hotels being at some type of cap for a while, I mean, it's going to be for a while. I mean, we might wear a mask for a year. I, I just think, like you said, this business is going to boom because people got the taste of it. They're like, why would I go back to the hotel? It doesn't make any sense. Not to mention, too, we actually did stay in a hotel in Palm Desert with the girls because they had the, like, fun kid slides or whatever, and you yeah. had to book. So it was, like, 115 degrees outside, and you mm. had to say, I want the morning session or the afternoon session at the pool. And I'm like, what the heck are we going to do with two kids when it's 115 degrees outside? This is crazy. So yeah. even those kinds of limitations make it really tough, even if you want to do the hotel stay. Yeah. Where are some of your, um, where are some of your favorite markets too on vacation rentals? Uh, we know what, and first of all, I validate everything you say as a family man. It's just, if the kids are having a good time, mom and dad are having a good time. And it just, it just takes the fear away from travel. And that's like, if I think about like my true purpose is, helping people travel better and all of our segments of real estate connect to it. So I appreciate you brought that up because that's kind of why it's a passion project. It's why we love what we do and we're figuring out the money thing as we go along based on where the opportunities are. But on that point, Kenny, the, in terms of markets, um, I do like uh, the Palm Springs Valley. Like I think that there are um, now from a pricing perspective, everything's a little wonky right now due to COVID. Um, yeah. From a, a revenue perspective, there are certain markets that I think are, going to outperform because they're in close proximity to major cities. Um, they're trying to exit. If there's like a COVID 2022, you know, it's not going to be quite as crazy as it was the past year, but they, people like rural communities that's relatively close to home base. So I think that market's pretty good. There's a um, there's also some of the rural markets like in the Western US, the Colorado, Idaho. Um, I was fortunate to get in, in a lot of number of investments in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho the last six years, wow. which was but primarily because I was passionate about it and I went to school in the area. Um, but now it's the hottest real estate market in us. <laughs> so I think it was just announced like ahead of Austin in terms of like uh, proportion of growth. So they're not all wins like that, as you know, but um, always believed it would be when people kind of found it and COVID accelerated that, that fine. So I do like those. And then um, I think cities, I mean, cities are rebound. Like there'll be some great buying in cities the next 12 to 24 months. We're not buying in cities right now because Cities were never really kind of part of our play on scale, but for someone who knows the cities like New York and San Francisco, stuff, there are going to be some good opportunities because a lot of people left and they've they've moved bases uh, either to the suburbs or into rural rural America or Hawaii and other places. And then Hawaii as well, I think, is just will always be a safe haven for capital because it's America, it's same currency, it's safe, it's perfect temperature, and they've been on a, on a ride the last year for sure, but I just don't see it ever like going backwards. They're just such limited land, it's finite resource, entitlements are impossible. So I do like that market, both a capital appreciation and a cap rate. Cap rate not as much because you know it's kind of pricey there, but I think when you combine the two economically, it makes for a real good fit financially. What's, um, I was going to ask you what, when you buy these, uh, like, let's say somebody wants to go buy vacation rentals, like they said, they said they see this opportunity coming up. Yep. What should they be looking for since you've done this a lot from a typical return 
you know, on investment or expenses, I think. And, and you know, is there any you know, tips or tricks too on, since you've been running for a while, like where you've learned the hard way or the easy way of, you know, cutting costs. I know some people run in expenses are high because they don't really know what they're doing or paying attention. So any feedback on that kind of like nugget of information? Yeah. You know what? I think first off, I actually got this from one of your podcasts, but like look in your backyard. I, I like that uh, concept of staying relatively close to what you know. Um, now, sometimes I feel like the world is a small place. It's been harder to get around the last year for sure with COVID, but you're usually a flight away from anywhere. So if it's, if you know Hawaii and you love Hawaii or, you know, the Quinta and you love the Quinta, there's always deals in every market, just a matter of your like level of intimacy with it. So I think that the more passionate you are about a vacation property, like this, if this is your first investment in vacation homes, pick something you love. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one is that if you love it, again, time's infinite. So you're going to do all the research, all the hustle and call your friends that know the market. And you're going to find the right deal for you, whether it's a house to rent on Airbnb or a long-term lease rent for the client, which is very good these days. Again, people leaving their stuff in the city and renting in these markets. Um, but find something you love because in the event financially, it's not perfect. You can always stay there. It's the one yeah. nice benefit about a vacation home is, you know what, during COVID, a number of our places were empty. So we had the chance to go to Y for basically three months. And so wasn't making any money revenue wise because it was all canceled. But guess what? We got a chance to utilize it as a, as a partner and as someone that sits uh, our company. So that's one of the nice privileges where if, you, if you're one or two or three off and you want to build a small portfolio, pick places you love, places you can get intimate with quickly, like you really understand them, know the buyers and sellers, know the rental conditions and like the governance around uh, STRs or short-term rental restrictions. And, um, and then from that particular point, it comes down to like activating the revenue. And I could talk a bit about that. But if those two things are in play, generally speaking, they do well. So when people go outside, like, wouldn't it be nice if we have a place in Costa Rica? Wouldn't it be nice? It's really hard to, to find success on your first crack at it. And because I've done that, <laughs> I've been the wouldn't yeah. it be nice to be here. And, uh, and we get there and we, we got our eyes, you know, wide open to be like, whoa, this is a little harder than we thought. And um, you really want to be almost like a local mindset when you're acquiring and you just need to find to do better financially. Yeah, I think too, when you're, especially if you're going to raise money, I always say like, for me, I care about my investors money more than even my own. So I'm like, oh my gosh, if I overshoot my budget or my pro forma of what I think I'm going to do, because I didn't know about the little intricacies of the laws and how everything works you know, I think at least if you're in your own backyard, you know, the neighborhood, but you also know the laws, you know, you can pick up the phone and call any number of people that can kind of guide you through uh, and give you advice. Whereas in Costa Rica, you're like, dang, who do I know in Costa Rica who's doing real estate? You know, how do I know this? It's so, it's so true. Like in your area of the woods, Palm Springs is great. If you're in Salt Lake, it's like Tahoe. And if you're in Seattle, it's, it's Idaho, you know, it's like they're in Northern Idaho. Like these are the the great little places where if you have to take over management of that asset for a period of time, you could do it relatively effectively. And because if you're in Costa Rica and the border shut down, well, you're like, you don't know, someone, someone could be living in your house right now and you would not know because you have no way to possibly check aside from like having a, a camera outside. And so that's where a lot of people have got burnt. Now you get better deals though. So it's like risk adjusted returns if you pursue like Latin American properties, which we have lots of but we're comfortable with the risk and we have scale. So we have good leadership and management in the areas to help. But if it's a one-off or a two-off, a great way to get in the space is 
pick two or three friends like we did, find them together, have set rules on how you choose to use them for personal times. You'll find it gets disproportionate quickly. Um, someone can use an asset more than the other. And then obviously, um, if they're within your own backyard, relatively speaking, you know that you can solve a problem quickly versus being handcuffed due to what we've all experienced now, like an actual lockdown when a place can actually go into disrepair or, or um, someone could be squatting in your place or something, which just sounds silly, but it, it happens. I have to say, I really love, um, it, I think this really speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit because how many people said, boy, I'd love to have vacation homes all around the world, but I can't afford that. So how, how can I do this? Like, let me pull all my family and friends together and buy these homes. I just think it's really cool that you had that kind of like I can do anything attitude and you guys made it happen. I just think it's, it's awesome. It's a really cool story. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, it's, it's kind of like who went and treat you like it's up. It's like, you kind of dreamed it. You're like, you just made it happen. So, and you pick really good spots too. So that's good. I want to pivot to, um, development. Yes. So that's obviously, um, that's a huge difference. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we buy multifamily, we have some vacational stuff, but, you know, to go from like buying and if you fix it up and, you know, vacation and now all of a sudden you're getting into development, that's just a completely different animal. So how did you, when did you guys start pivoting and can you try and talk about that just switch and why you switch and where you're, what, what you're doing with it? Yeah, for sure. And again, I think probably like just the um, blissfully unaware about how hard some of these business lines are and why it takes so long for a boutique development shop to get off the ground and find success. And um, so that's my, my, you know, school of hard knocks, but you go back to 2014 where the pivot was, is we were buying so many of these assets for the shared use model, the co-ownership group, but we're coming across like these really amazing people and really amazing opportunities and brokers and land. And I just had like, to be honest, a bit of FOMO syndrome of like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice? So just the entrepreneurial side. Of it. it doesn't fit into the, my million dollar box or $2 million box at acquisition price, but would it be great to build like a $10 million thing here? So just was, yeah, entrepreneurial gene. And I, and I think I have a strength. It's probably like ideas, like seeing something and where maybe it could go. Execution, there's way better people than me and they're on my team and they're the ones that are doing the, you know, the great work on that side now. But at the time I was trying to do both. So where I succeeded was putting together the right groups of people and investors and land and deals. And we found three opportunities that kicked off Luxus Developments. Um, and that was Project in Hawaii, which is our biggest one. It was a $50 million um, 17 home residential community. And today, literally, we close on our last unit. <laughs> so, oh, thank you. So it was about three years overdue. We had financing pulled, two hurricanes, and then the volcano erupted in the Big Island. So we learned about natural disasters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, was, it was like the ultimate of like, curveballs and we really struggled financially through it but we got it done that's award-winning we're super proud of it but financially not a success to be perfectly honest it's one of those ones that was just like let's just get it done whatever it takes this is part of our our future versus having a half-built product we're very proud of it and uh, so so that was number one and we started simultaneously all in the same three months again not thinking not smart steve here uh, we started uh, a three project home in palm desert Technical yeah. the garage, three estate homes. And then to get way out there, we started uh, buying ruins in central Tuscany and restoring them to be luxury villas for end use clients, which it seems like three complete opposite ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really Why like not? to go all in, right? <laughs> <laughs> you really, uh, yeah. 
in the midst of the other business we're still growing. And it was just like, in hindsight, it just was so such a dumb idea. Like, but um, but again, we learned. And so Hawaii is done. Pop Spring sold, you know, a couple of years ago. And uh, and we learned a lot from both those. I won't get into all the minutiae of it, but they're, they're hard markets to be profitable because competition's fierce. So you have to be like really dialed. We had the right vision and the right land, but not the right, we missed elements of it. We missed elements of the financing. That's where we really got, you know, crushed. Um, we just missed elements on people that we didn't quite know and you know exactly what we should have done to set it up for success from a project management perspective. But the final vision is great. Where we did find success, again, very entrepreneurial, I guess, but is the Italy thing, buying these ruins in Tuscany, just outside of Siena. So we have an office now based out of Siena, and we just buy ruins and restore them for end-use clients. And um, we've done... Uh, one took us six years, two years to do it, four years to rent, became one of the number one rental properties in Airbnb Lux, and, uh, which is luxury retreats before. It was on like when Airbnb Lux launched her luxury division, it was the very first property they actually showed on their two minute teaser video. So it was something wow. we're really proud of, of the tens of thousands of homes they could have chosen. And we recently sold it to a Hungarian family who were just absolutely wonderful. And now we have three projects on the go and we do try to do two to three a year. It's about the scale we can do there because they're very, very intricate. They're all 200 to five, 600 years old, historical issues. And then it takes about two years to restore, but it truly is one of the coolest things out of here. It's just, we, and we're really a fee for developer. And in some cases we partner and we take a success fee. In some cases we're a fee for developer. In some cases we also help with renting and managing the asset after. So that's kind of where we went. And that's, I mean, that's just the start of the story where we are now, different, but that's where we kicked off and some places got killed. Some places did well, and, but we're still standing. So that's good. I have to ask you this. It's a slightly off topic, but like, I just, it, do you think that there's a part of you, uh, whether you know it or not, or uh, do it on purpose or subconsciously that just likes the challenge? You're like, I'm going to throw myself into this very difficult situation and dig my way out of it. Uh, I have that chat inside my head all the time. <laughs> I'm aware of it now, and I wasn't aware of it till probably about two years ago. And I think when I really felt the struggle and the pain and like the consequences of the decisions from seven, eight years ago, um, that's when it became real for me and my wife and my kids. And they saw the stress on me and were financially at risk, you know, or, um, you know, our partners weren't doing well financially because we weren't achieving the milestones we set. And that's where I think it finally reset on my brain enough's enough. You just can't do it because you like it. You got, you think it's cool. There's a place for that. And there's a place for a really sophisticated structure to evaluate if it actually makes sense financially. And that's where we're finding our, like our cadence. Now I've got the right people on the team that know when to let me go and just kind of come up with ideas and bring them to the group. And then when to rein it in and be like, Steve, we don't have the capacity for that. We don't have the resources. Here's the challenges. And I think it's kind of found the really right, the right balance now of how we can be very successful by being entrepreneurial, pursuing these passions and activating these underserved assets around the world, um, but not doing it in a way that puts our family or our team or our investors at risk the way maybe it happened in the first decade. So I love the challenge, but the, all the gray hair here now you see is all a result of that, you know, five-year journey of, um, <laughs> of quite a bit of stress, frankly. And uh, I don't, I don't desire to go back to it, but I do desire to continue to try to make a contribution of ideas to these, these assets. And so I think the right balance is in place now. Though. Thanks for asking that, by the way. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, 
that's kind of what it takes though to be an entrepreneur because it, it's funny I think a lot of people decide to start their own business thinking well I can make my own schedule I can do whatever I want and I the, the reality is that you actually work harder than you'll ever work at a job and you work more hours than you'll ever work at a job. And when you're on vacation, you have to work. You can't just say I'm out, I'm, I'm gone. So yeah. it's just always like an interesting question for me to ask people because I don't think a lot of people that dive into any business think about all the things. I mean, we're all guilty of it, right? You don't know what you don't know. So now you dive in and you go, oh, wow, there's all these things that I didn't even think of and you mm -hmm. wouldn't have known to think of them. But um, overall, would you say that you enjoy the development and it's something that you want to continue to do? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I don't regret any of the decisions. I regret like actions after the decisions about like how we could do better. But that's that's hindsight's 2020, right? You, I know, and I can hold my head high that me and our, you know, my team, the entire way through, we dealt with the highest level of integrity. We got the projects done. Every person got paid. Was supposed to get paid. Like we 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 finished off with that. So I feel like we've learned so much now. And now it'd be a shame to be like just because you took some lumps to not activate it further. And that's where I feel like the creation, you know, um, gene. I guess to me, it really gets you know gets its satisfaction because we're now I've learned so much. And I like building things. Now that said, building sometimes doesn't mean greenfield, like starting from you know, raw land. It's activating an asset that's, that's, that's not fully, you know, at its full potential, or it's taking, um, you know, something and converting to something else. So there's lots of different ways that I feel like uh, building something can be just, just giving it a slightly different purpose and kind of renewed life. And I personally, I love it. That's where our, our future is. And we will we'll always have our co-ownership model. It's, it's critical. We're actually launching a new fund here very shortly, a really kind of ultra high-end one at three to four to five million dollars per asset. Um, so the higher buy-in, a smaller group. And I've got a team that runs that, six people every day. It's their passion. I love it. Um, and I think I'll kind of be 50-50 between the two divisions over the next kind of five years. Are you currently uh, have any other projects to build right now or you're slated to build coming up? Uh, we actually have, um, I guess this goes back to like, I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> We're now building a Marriott's Hotel beachfront in Playa del Carmen. We're very excited about it. I thought I was wondering. I didn't hear. Okay, I remember that. Okay, cool. Yeah, we might have just discussed it briefly. So that that one is as a result of, again, meeting unique people along the journey, people I trust in, in the partner. So it's a JV partnership with a group there that we trust immensely, known for a decade, that have this amazing piece of land. And, and our team's bringing the back of house and sophistication and and team and it's a really wonderful partnership and with this jv we've now identified some other really unique opportunities um we're looking at one in Nevada right now which i can't talk about yet but i will be soon it's very very exciting it would be our biggest thing we've ever done and then we're also looking at other uh objects in your neck of the woods and in, in palm springs which could be really interesting and um it's, it's not nothing's finalized yet it's kind of preliminary but um those are some of the things we have you know on the going in the pipeline and for us our we've I guess our biggest thing is our our company and our ideas about growing our pocketbook. So now it's we need to strategically partner with people with the right capital and balance sheet to do the size of products we want to do before we could do a lot of them ourselves or with a small group of people or a small amount of money. But now the numbers are pretty big. So we're just being really picky on the project and really picking our partners. We want really good people with a high core value fit. So make sure you get married for five years on a, on a build. You still love each other at the end and, uh, and you have a good experience and you got each other's backs. 
Well, yeah, I think having a partnership, we, we talk about it all the time too, is just, you know, whether you're going to invest passively, let's say in um, a multifamily building, or you're going to invest passively in a development, it's such a different deal. It's like years of no money or income. In fact, you're paying and then <laughs> like you get this big payoff though, you know, that's the hope anyway, at the very yes. end of the project. And there's so many ups and downs with development. And like you mentioned with being in different countries, um, I could see where that would be challenging, but I think it's, it's cool though, that you have taken all those lumps and you've learned all of these things mm -hmm. because now, I mean, I always say to Kenny, at least if we try something and we screw up or we fail or whatever, there's so many other opportunities that come along the way that maybe make it not the failure you think it was, you know, cause we're all our own worst critic. Right. But now yes. you have this you know, Marriott opportunity or these other things that you learned along the way while you were taking it on the chin over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool that you, you're continuing on. I think it takes a real love of development too to, um, to do that. So <laughs> hey, thank you. You know what? It's fun. And that's why we've joined masterminds like the Avengers and other groups where you get a chance to hang with like-minded people like yourself. It's people that are comfortable with the risk. It doesn't make it easy always. And it doesn't make the challenges um, yeah, you know, that much softer on you. It's just a matter of when you're around people, you understand this is what needs to happen to move the world forward. You know, you need everyone contributing to society. And this is our role as entrepreneurs and within real estate. And, and um, someone has to bring ideas and build and create jobs and create opportunities. And so I just find there's like a wonderful uh, passion and outcome that comes just from that alone, let alone making money at the end. And, you know, which ultimately is, you know, it needs to be economically viable for anyone to participate, but you can have a lot of fun along the journey as well, which makes it even more rewarding. Yeah, no, I agree. It's cool. Like you're right about the Avengers, you know, you get around a, a lot of people that are making big moves and you hear like this story, um, which, you know, I didn't hear this full story from you, but it's like, yeah. but then you realize like, man, I thought I was struggling with a project and you got through something that was a lot worse. So you, Sometimes we just don't realize what we're capable of, even though it's not fun. And obviously, when like Crystal says, when you take people's money, I think a lot of the stress is it's like I gotta, I gotta return that capital back. I don't wanna, I don't wanna say, man, you you invested in me, right, in my project. So uh, I think that we put a lot of the stress on us. But it's cool when you get to talk to the people that went through struggles and things, or some people that lost it all, and you're like, oh my gosh. But then they started back, and now they're bigger than ever, which is like because they learn so much you know you know what the, the best thing about good partners and i've had some really great partners i've had some tough ones as well and i think that they've all provided value to me you know they were tough on me when i deserved it and i needed it um but man when you have good partners that have your back that are they're, they're equal mentors equal passive investors equal guys who just want to contribute to your success it's just so valuable like i just i think about over the last six seven years those that stepped up along the way when the volcano did erupt you know in hawaii and, shut us down for a year basically and and some of our other challenges that whether there are within our control obviously that one certainly wasn't but it was um i wouldn't have been able to get through it like or, or maybe i would have i'm not sure but i had those people and I, I feel like there's like three buckets of people that kind of help you you've got your peers so like that's where avengers is incredible and as in, you know arte and others are people that are an entrepreneurs organization people that are like living and breathing on like a very on a similar level of entrepreneurship then bucket number two is mentors, which I just think is the most one of the most valuable tools. Someone who's lived it, you know, and you just get to learn from their experiences. And then bucket number three is a coach. A good, good coach just keeps you accountable. And I think that 
three things helped me immensely during the ups and downs, and they still do every day. And I just put such a high regard on ensuring you have a balanced approach on all three because they, they all serve different purposes, but equally profound, I think, the impact they can have. Yeah, um, gonna ask you about that. So obviously we're part of the Avengers, which I think is awesome. And yeah. you know, I've never really done a mastermind. So I actually, when the first time I was there, we set the same table. So, yeah. you know, and, our, and I, that's how we met with the first, you know, I'm yeah. there by myself, but um, now that I've had more time with it, I realize like, you know, you go there, but then you start breaking out and have friendships. So I'm excited to go back because you'll know everybody even more. But you've done that one. I know you did the Arte one. That's with um, Andy Frisella and Ed Milet, which is correct. Those yeah. guys. What are what are um, uh, why is that such a big deal for you to do? And because um, I think a lot of people like I'm doing mastermind. Like, why are you doing that? I just don't think they understand like what you get out of it. It's hard to just say it to somebody. You got to really be a part of it. But what are you getting out of all these? And how does it help and change you? Yeah, you know, yeah. Thanks for asking. It's I've. My, my first um, group was EO or Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a global organization. I'm sure you've heard of it. Are you guys in EO or YP or anything? No, I've looked into it. Um, it's just a big commitment for me and it's a little yes. bit of a <laughs> and a mastermind. So yeah, I have looked into them and I have talked to everybody at EO, um, Sage, some of these other groups, but I feel like there's, it's, it's different than like a mastermind. Correct. So, for sure. Yeah. I feel like, um, I'd be better suited for a mastermind, but it's cool. I think for everybody to kind of interview those, look at a mastermind and then think what, what fits best for me. That's exactly right. And I've had the chance to kind of do a few different variations now. Like the EO is really like, you should commit for like five years in your mind. Like it's a, not like an in and out process. You're in, you're committed to your forum group, to your chapter. And, but like, again, this, it's really quite profound on the peer-to-peer -peer learning aspect. And for me, that served a great, like a great purpose for 10 years. And as soon as I left, I felt like uh, at that time, not that you're ever above it ever, like it's, it's your, there's a, thousands of people way above me and obviously status or success or whatever you want to call it. But that particular moment, I was ready for something new and I wanted the mastermind experience. Now, Arte Syndicate, you know, is a little bit different than that, but it was, you know, two years with, with Ed and Andy was, was phenomenal. Like it was a neat because there's a fixed kind of end still involved but we had their their first big groups and it was only 60 people um met some incredible people like lifelong friends several hundred vendors now but it was neat because there's a one-year commitment and you kind of knew i could go all in for a year and i could decide if i wanted to re re-ante for a second year i ended up doing two years and uh and it was remarkable and still in they they merged the the arte syndicate and the accelerator together which is now it's like a larger group um but then Avengers was the right fit because of the real estate focus. So it's yeah. neat about Arte, for example, like I think you bucket different masterminds. You got one that's business specific, like all encompassing, you know, like HR systems, processes, sales and marketing, the full thing, or an industry specific one. And that was my next chapter, which is Avengers. It's very cool to be in a real estate specific one where every single person has a shared passion for bricks and mortar real estate, investing, building, managing, and so for me, that was like the next step in my kind of evolution of these, these groups. And it's only been one event, but like, look at this, I'm on podcasts with, with friends already and people are standing at the homes and we're having fun together. And so like, I can already tell it's, it's worth its weight in gold in a heartbeat. And uh, I just think for a person picking something to your point, there's just so many options. Don't cheap out though. I think a lot of people pick, sometimes they have to be budget conscious, but try not to pick the least expensive 
pick the one that's going to give you the best return on your dollars. And there's lots, but for us, I think we've found some good options, which has been, which has been awesome for me. I think um, to, to your point, like how you were saying that, you know, it's not like you ever outgrow. I think it just, or you're above a group. It's more like what season of life am I in? And like you said, am I searching to get better systems to grow my company or am I searching to invest with like-minded people? Like what is, is it exactly that you're looking for? And if you're a growth minded person in general, it's like you need different things in different seasons of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, like nailed it. Like it's, it's, I'm going to use that for now on. I, that, that's a better word <laughs> like for, for the right seasons in life, you know, and I, I agree fully. I think I'll go back to you at one point because I just still have such a, like a, an affection to it. Like it was so, so important for that part of my life, but maybe it's when I'm further on my career and I can play more a role of a mentor versus I was kind of mentee for the first 10 years. I was just junior and I was leaning on everyone else for support. So it's all a part of season in life. So I love, I'm going to, I'm not going to steal it. I'm just going to borrow that term and I'm going to say yeah. that it was you and to go to your podcast to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think it is interesting though, about not cheaping out because I think a lot of people, if they're not used to paying for these things, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not used to doing this, then you go, Oh, that's just ridiculous. It's just a fad, whatever. They're just trying to take your money. Um, But then once you start, like it was, I was more that person just scared of this stuff. And then Kenny wanted to do it. And Mm -hmm. now once you actually dive in and you join a group or you become a part of something, then you're like, whoa, I need to pull the reins in because I want to join this group and that group (laughs) and this mastermind. How can I figure it all out? And then you got to go like, wow, there's actually work involved in all of these things. I have to kind of pick where I'm going to be. So it is definitely like a a mind shift. Um, And now it's like you, you yearn for that. You're like, I need that. I need to meet other people. I need to, you know, work on things and have that kind of like community. Yeah, it's so true. And I encourage like just from my personal experience, those are the three I can speak to, EO, Arte Syndicate, and Avengers. All of them are worth looking at. They all have their own value. They all do great things. And it just comes down to where you are in your season and where it may fit. I haven't done any other ones, but I'm sure there's lots of other phenomenal ones out there. But pick the one that's right for you. But I'll certainly vouch and uh, and advocate for those because they've had a big, big impact on my life. And uh, what the guys are doing with the Avengers is phenomenal. And what Ed and Andy have done is phenomenal. And I trust them. And I think it's really cool if uh, people explore those. Give a shameless plug to those groups. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you a couple more questions. So one sure. is, how are you, um, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on. So how do you manage it all? Like life, you know, the whole balance. It's like, I hate to use the word balance, but how do you just manage everything? You have the family, the travel, the business, you got a lot of stuff. Uh, you know what? It's, it's, um, you know, as entrepreneurship, there's never balance. It's kind of like, you know, my wife uses the term, she's a podcast and she's often, it's uh, finding harmony in the imbalance. You know, there's constantly like too many things on the go and we're kind of okay with it until something really takes over your life and then it really throws something off. So I think it's accepting the imbalance is kind of number one. And then, and then as a result of that, um, structurally is what we've got a lot better on is the right leaders in the right seats. So we have three divisions, one in Canada, one in the US and one in Italy. And I've got the right leaders in all the seats. And I never did before. I just, that's, actually, that's not true at all. I had amazing leaders, but they were sitting in too many seats. And it was really hard for them to wear 14 different hats a day. I kind of found it fun taking your hat off and putting on hat number 16, you know, later in the day, in the morning. And then someone else would be like, whiplash. Like, yeah, and so yeah. uh, now it's we've segmented them. They're all big enough to stand alone. They weren't originally, so I didn't have a choice. I just had to like, you just had to do, like you just get it done. 
But now with the right leaders and the right seats, I spend um, not an equal amount of time. I'm kind of like 40, 40, 20, or maybe 45, 45, 10 with Italy getting the smallest piece because um, that leader reports into our US office. And um, I'm very, like, very fortunate to have an incredible leadership team. And as a result of that, you can do a lot of things when you've got good people underneath you. Like that's, without them, I'm like literally nothing. <laughs> Ideas that go nowhere. <laughs> so uh, I'm very grateful to have the right people on the bus for sure. Yeah, it's funny to ask that question about scaling to a lot of the guys in Avengers or anybody. And it's literally the same answer is when I got a great person under me or I got a you know great team members, that's when they were able to scale or grow or like have more balance or whatever you want to call it. So it's funny that everybody says the same damn answer. So it's just like, that's literally what it is. Like, Well, and then the second aspect of it, when you have the good team in place, your team extends your family and, you know, for my wife, Carrie, and my kids, Cash and Allie, they're they're part of the team now. They're kind of it's not like I do my thing and they do theirs. It's very much congruent with the plan that we have together. And the kids are involved in the family decision making now. Like to leave to go to Idaho for the next few months is a, is a big decision because they're out of school. Um, they're actually their friends. They work, you know, online programming, but they're pursuing competitive sports and they want to be NCAA. So we we decide together as a family, and it's gonna throw things out of whack from the routine that we're so used to, let's discuss as a team. And, you know, we're not always 100% aligned, but we're pretty darn close most of the time. And as a result of that, that just, just alleviates such a massive amount of stress because you're aligned. So when you're on the same page with your spouse, you just know how much, you know, more fluid life is. When your kids are on the same page, it's just even more fluid as they get older. Um, but keeping everyone in the loop, I think for a lot of years, my wife had her career and I had my career, and we just, you know, two ships passing in the night and it was fine. It worked. It did, did what we had to do, but it's, uh, it wasn't necessarily like serving us. And so now we're very much a team on the decisions and that allows us to do more with life, which is, uh, involves travel, involves some neat things, but involves us working a lot, but in a way that's congruent with our values. I love that. That's really cool. I mean, obviously Kenny and I work together too. Um, there aren't a lot of people I know that our husband and wife team. Um, but I agree with you that having to have that kind of transparency in those discussions is so key. Cause I might not all, we might not always agree, but we kind of like begrudgingly <laughs> entertain yes. each other's ideas, you yes. know, here and there, but, um, and it, and it happens, you know, and it is cool to see each other grow. And I love that you have your kids involved at such a young age, even though they're teenagers now, that's awesome. Oh, thanks. Well, one other neat thing about it too, and it is, um, I'm, I know you guys do so much but for your community and, your, and you get young family and everything else. One neat thing we have on the go now, because this, like, this is almost what fills my bucket the most is helping people on vacations. We're starting a, a Luxus advisory service. It's like very much in the infancy now. It's the first time actually talking publicly about it, but it's where we're going to help people. I think, in, and um, Kent, like his thing about teaching people on buying, you know, activating, we're going to try to do it in a similar space I don't even know how we're going to charge for it. I haven't got anything figured out aside from want to help people at a greater scale than we are doing it now, but buying vacation homes. And so, uh, so this, even your podcast today is just giving me the inspiration of thought that, you know, I could be doing better on this regard. So I think I might start a YouTube channel. That might be kind of crazy. I don't know. Um, but something that just talks about this aspect. So I want to say thanks to you both for, you know, doing 120 episodes. And what do you, what do you do at right now? Like this is yeah. around, right around 120. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so good. And I listened to your story to start from nothing. And I found myself being very shy and not um, 
I don't know. I just haven't been on social. I haven't activated those things. And I feel like being a part of these groups, if anything, has helped me realize there's a lot of people that could help and learn from the things we've learned from. So I want to say thanks to you both for uh, inspiring me to, to do it. And I, you can hold me accountable. I will start start this over the next year. And uh, and hopefully it helps more people, you know, enjoy their lives a bit better through vacation properties. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I think that's awesome just because I think there's, it's so crazy how many things have come out in real estate. Like now they have this wholesaling and like, you know, Ken's like reverse wholesaling and, you know, all these different things that you could do, but, um, vacation property is just another one where it's like this cool perk that you get to stay in a home, but also can cash flow it. And we have had these conversations with our friends so many times, like, Hey, we should just buy a house together. I mean, when our friend wants to buy a house in Nicaragua, he wants to buy a house in <laughs> other places yeah. like let's just figure it out and make it happen or Palm Springs even uh by the way yes. cool. um yeah. but yeah I think that's really cool that you could help people and teach them to buy vacation properties and show them the logistics because it's not that hard but the thing is is nobody has a process laid out so if you come up with a really great process and you can coach people through that Mm -hmm. they can be they can invest as well and then have a vacation home that's awesome I agree too because I and I think too is I mean you know, it's uh, right now, if you just look, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money and made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are sitting money. They don't know what to do with it. It's in the stock market. That's why you see a lot of capital moving around and people are, you know, they love to pull the trigger on a second home, but they're like, is this the right spot? Could I do the VRBO here? You know, could I make my money back? What's the mansion? What's that? Who's a good man? They, there's all these questions and they're looking for always, Chris will always say, it's like, you're it's an insecurity that's why they're not pulling it so you could be somebody that's like tapping into that insecurity where it's like it's just insecurity of like how do i enter another market another state and no i'm not going to make a dumb purchase and this is going to come back to bite me in the butt yes, or it's yeah. like could i buy a property in palm springs and say hey put this much down and get leverage and say could i be covered mm -hmm. uh, so we realize that in our business even just doing financing we're really just helping people with their insecurity because whether they're buying an apartment building or a first time home, whatever yeah. they haven't been through the process. This it's like, they're looking for some confidence. So maybe yeah. that's really what you could be as a, like, I feel like when you're talking, it's like, you want to be a confidence for somebody to be like, let's go buy that property. And I can walk you through because I've done it, you know, a hundred times. And I know the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> no, like, I'm using that for you now. I agree. It's it, that's a good term. It's like the confidence on the other side, and, and education creates confidence. Like there's no doubt, and I think that most people just assume you're going to lose money in a vacation home because their buddy lost money or didn't rent the way you thought. Or there's just there seems to be more horror stories than like great financial success stories. But I've seen all the spectrum. So it's like when you actually can do it on, you don't have to do it on scale, but we have. But we pull out the pockets and nuggets that will help you avoid disaster number one number two enjoy it like why not you have a vacation home have fun and then number three cash flow it or or set it up for for a great property appreciation like it's it can be financially very successful when done right and so i think just trying to figure out might be one of my lessons this year through venture how do i formalize this and package it and put it in a way that doesn't take me away from my main business too much but we can add value so it'll be a fun challenge to to pursue yeah. Well, the good news is, is I think in the Avengers group, there's a lot of people who put together courses and programs and coaching and all of that. So you probably have the, the right, you're, you're part of the right group. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Deep talent um, in that group. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'll, I have one last question we always ask before that. Where can people, where's the best way to find you, learn more about you, what you do, and maybe some of your upcoming opportunities as well? Uh, yeah, thanks. Good. Uh, you know what? I'm probably probably part of the issue. I'm hard to find. I am on Instagram, but I think the last post was my anniversary last year with my wife. So I don't, I'm definitely not active. You can DM me though. So it's at Stephen Petaskey. So it's actually S-T-E-P-H-E-N-P-E-T-A-S-K-Y. So that's Instagram. DM is a great way. Or just go to our website, The Luxus Group. And if you go to any of the links there and say, I heard Steve, I want to, I want to meet him. I want to hear more. Um, that's just a great tool. So easy, easy way to go that route. Awesome. So the one question we always ask everybody is, what is your definition of generational wealth? Yeah, great question. I think generational wealth for me is a combination of, um, you know, a financial means, but legacy. So we're doing things that are a combination of like wealth is subjective a little bit to the terms of financial pocket and what wealth means. Wealth is health, wealth is memories and all these aspects. So for me, I look at it as a combination of having enough money that you can build over time that your kids, kids, kids can be okay and they can be successful and they're going to have the tools to do what they need to do in life. And I think what was, I was Bill Gates saying, I want to give enough money to my kids to do something, but not too much to do nothing. So you want to create an environment where I can have enough for my kids to do something, but not do nothing. But the second thing is, is leaving a legacy um, for me personally on, and what, I'm not sure what that means. We have a fishing lodge in Northern Canada. We have this hundreds of square kilometers of like preserved land we use for, uh, for fishing. For me, that's a bit of uh, generational wealth as well. So my kids' kids will be able to enjoy that. Awesome. Uh, and hopefully they'll say thanks to dad for doing that um, and where the places in Italy. So there's a, there's a lifestyle component to my definition um, that encompasses also trying to hit a financial target where, you know, financially your kids can be okay. That's really cool. Um, you're sort of like creating a tradition uh, through your kind of like financial wealth, but there's like these things you can, you know, go to the fishing lodge every year, you know, your grandkids and all this stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. No, it's actually like fishing, but when the borders open back up, I, I never liked fishing until I bought this fishing lodge. It's the coolest thing in the world, I'm telling you. But even if you don't like it, I've had uh, fem women come out, men, kids, and it's like one of the coolest things in the experience. There's not, you have to fly in with a float plane. It's like, there's no roads anywhere. It's just, it's a very cool experience. The Canada has some pretty neat things to offer, but the borders are closed currently. One day they will reopen. <laughs> That sounds awesome. I would love to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like your Canadian version of like a dude ranch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Very cool. Cool. Well, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, that was awesome. I mean, even though we sat around and talked a lot, I mean, I learned a lot and some of the, some of the takeaways for me are cool, but I mean, honestly, it's like, you're the epitome of like not giving up and just kind of like literally <laughs> jumping into ice cold water and just like figuring it out how I'm going to get to the other side. But uh, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad I, I wish you much success. I know we'll see each other soon, but um, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks to you both. You guys, you guys are too kind. I appreciate being on your show. It's a wonderful podcast. I'll be spreading the word for sure. So thank you kindly. Have a wonderful day. We'll catch up with you in Dallas in a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. See you soon. Okay, see you guys. Bye.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.